All right, we, we started a new series last week, and we're talking about the seven churches that are in Revelation. And it, this is an uh, amazing, amazing letter that John has written. This is t- completely about Jesus. And we talked last week, we talked about chapter 1, that John, here's John, the apostle John, the disciple, and he's, he's on this island of Patmos. He was sent there because he was preaching the gospel. This was kind of like the Alcatraz of the day. This was kind of for where prisoners were. It was a very kind of desolate place. And he's there on this island. And as he's there, we're going to review a little bit um, about it. But as he was there, he says uh, in verse, verse 9, he says, I, John, and this isn't on the screen, so follow along with your Bibles. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in God's kingdom and patient endurance, which Jesus calls Calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. This is where we talked about it. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. And then suddenly, that's what I was saying earlier. Sometimes when you worship God and you're worshiping the Lord in the spirit, which means you're connecting on a spiritual level with God, there's those suddenly moments. And John had one of those suddenly moments. And this loud voice began to speak to him, and it was loud like a trumpet blast. And it said, write a book, everything that you see, and send it to the seven churches. So he says, write a book and tell them everything you see. So John is hearing a voice, but he's about to see something. Because the Bible, Jesus is telling him, listen, I want you to write what you see. Okay, when you look at verse 1 of Revelation 1, it says this is a revelation of Jesus. A revelation from Jesus. This isn't a book that says, oh, Revelation, it's all about the end times. Does it talk about things like that? Yes. But Revelation, it is a revelation of Jesus. Matt, will you come back up here? We're going to review this. Go ahead and bring your chair. All right? If you were here last week, you know what I'm going to do. If not, this will help you understand what we're, what we're doing. John, disciple of Jesus, he walked with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. Right? You with me? Okay, now he sees a different side of Jesus. All right, I'm covering you up for a second. So here's what this word revelation means. And and sometimes people say revelations. It's one revelation. It's one revelation. You may learn more about that revelation, but the revelation is of Jesus. And that revelation means to unveil or to reveal. So it's not like it's something that's not there. Because, listen, Jesus is fully there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's all God. He's he's God. He's Jesus. And he came in human form, and he came as a man. And John saw him that way. But John is about to see a new side of Jesus. All right? So there is this unveiling of Jesus. Okay, now Matt's not Jesus, but he's trying to be more and more like him, right? Okay, so this is, what, this is what I want you to get, this revelation, as we know and we all serve God. But listen, there's more to God than what you know. There's more to Jesus than what you know. And as you worship him, he will reveal or unveil parts of who Jesus is that you haven't ever seen before. That's what revelation means. Thank you, sir. That's what it means to, uh, to have a revelation. All right. So he has his revelation. He turns, and here's what he sees. He sees seven gold lampstands. And in the middle of this gold lampstands, as it says, is someone like the Son of Man. It's Jesus. 
And it says that he's standing in the middle of these lampstands. Now we're going to go ahead to the verse 20 of chapter 1. It's the last verse. He says, this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars. It says when he saw Jesus standing in the midst of the lampstands, he had seven stars in his right hand. And he's standing amongst these seven lampstands. The meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That word angels there is the word for messengers. Okay, so it's like the messenger, an overseer, a pastor type, a leader, an overseer or a messenger of those churches. And that's, that's who Jesus has in his hands. Okay, and then it says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's, as we get into this first church today, talking about Ephesus, we're going to look and we're going to relate how church today still has some of those issues that these churches had back then. And we need to look because my desire is that we will live up to what God called us to do. When, when the Lord told us about planting a church and gave us the name Thrive, I looked it up and it means to, to flourish, to grow to prosper, to succeed. It is an ongoing developing of growth. And for us to be the church God's called us to do, we have to continue to do that. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, God has called you to thrive. Not a place. He could call you to another church. You go anywhere. That's fine. You go where you get the word. But he's called you as a lifestyle to thrive, to flourish, to grow, to succeed. That's what he's called you to do. So what's cool about it is, is it, as our church, as we look at it, here's what gives me confidence. One, that as, as one who God has called to pastor or shepherd or lead, even though this is God's church, I am just a vessel. I am nothing, I'm no more special than you to God. But he has us, he has me in his hand, he's got you in his hand, he's got all of us. But he is walking, he is standing amongst the churches. He's there. He's there. So for us, God is with us. Jesus is with us in our everyday thing. He cares about us. He cares about you as an individual. He cares about us as a church. So the seven lampstands are the churches. Now let's go to what he talks to the church of Ephesus. All right. Remember, I will say this in chapter 1. Three times Jesus mentioned um, when he was revealing himself to John. That this is from the one who is, who was, who is, and who is to come. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, I start it and I finish it. And if he starts it and he finishes it, that means he's with you the whole time. Because between I will begin a good work in you, I'll be faithful to complete it. Our job, according to Philippians 1.6, is to be confident that when God begins something, he'll finish it. So if we know that that's what God will do, then here's the confidence we have, <clears throat> that he's with us the whole process. He doesn't start it and then leave and come back at the end. He's there at the beginning, and he completes it, which means he walks all the way through with us. And he gets us to that place he ultimately has us. All right. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is how you know this is Jesus talking. He's telling John, this is what I want you to write. So this is Jesus. This isn't John just saying, hey, guys, got some, got some thoughts for you. This is Jesus. And he's saying, write this letter to the angel or the messenger to the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. 
the one who walks among the seven lampstands. So in chapter 1, you see it says that Jesus is standing amongst the lampstands. Here he's saying, listen, I'm walking among them. And I picture Jesus walking among the lampstands, meaning he's, he's, he's connecting with us. He's connecting with us and with all the churches. He's connecting because he cares, because he loves us, and he wants to see us thrive. Then here's what he says. I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work, your patience, endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So I imagine that that Ephesus right now, the the leader of Ephesus and, and people reading this letter, they're thinking, oh, that's right. You know we work hard. That's right. Check. We got, a, we got a good one. We got a check from Jesus. We know he knows we're patient. Oh, that's right. Keep going. That's good. You know, it feels good when people are telling you all that you're doing good, right? I see how you're enduring through suffering. Man, you're doing a good job. Yeah, yeah we, thank you. Thank you very much. And you just kind of keep going through. Look at all these things that you're doing. You've even discovered that just because people say they're apostles, you examine it and really kind of test it to see and, you know, there's something good about that because that's why I tell you, listen, when you, when you leave this place today, you're not leaving here with, I believe this because Scott says. No, you better leave here because God spoke to you. Because, listen, there's no power in Scott unless Scott is speaking the words of the Lord. So don't, you, need to, you need to test and you need to take every word that comes from this place or any place and make sure it lines up with what the word of God speaks and what the Lord is saying. So that's what they're doing. And they found out that some of these apostles weren't really apostles. And they discovered them like, oh, you were lying. And Jesus was like, hey, good job. You just didn't believe everything you heard. Good job. And you, and you, you went through difficulty and you never quit. You know, Galatians 6, 9, don't, don't quit. Don't get weary when you're doing the right thing. You'll, if, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Good job, guys. Way to go. Not, no, no quitting. So there's all these great things. But then, then Jesus says this. But I do have this complaint against you. Now, before I tell you what it is, I want you to know something. Notice what Jesus does here. He always, he's a loving, loving God. You know God is a loving God. Matter of fact, God is love. So anything God does comes from love because that's who he is. So he's loving, but Jesus here, he commends them, and then he corrects them. He builds them up a little. When I was a youth pastor, I did that for 15 years. When I was a youth pastor, and I, used to, I would tell all of my leaders, because we had, there was, we had a lot of teenagers. We'd have between 200 and 250 teenagers, and I would tell them, listen, I can't handle every situation, but here's what I would like. If there is someone who is acting up or disrupting or causing a problem, you have the authority to deal with it. All the leaders, you have the authority to deal with it. Don't, I can't, don't bring them all to me. Deal with it. But then I told them this, but this is how you deal with it. You deal with it like a hamburger. Soft, the bun, soft, nice. Hey, we love you. We're glad you're here. Man, you're, you're a 
You're a great person. You know, God's got good plans for you tonight. Then get to the meat of what you want to say. But listen, you can't act like that. I need you to sit down. I need you to pay attention so you're not distracting. And then put the other piece of the bun on. All right? You got, we cool? Just want you to know, man, we're glad you're here. We just we want to make sure you get everything out of this that you can. That was an approach to kind of help. Because what leads people to repentance, according to Romans? God's kindness and his goodness. Not just pointing out all the faults, and that's all we ever do. Listen, when you embrace people first, then you can encourage them to make changes. But you can't go telling people how wrong they are when you're not even demonstrated that you care or that you notice anything good. So Jesus, it's amazing how he, how he still gets to the point and he still, he sees, he wants them to know, listen, I'm seeing where you're, the things you're doing well. I'm seeing it. But there's this one thing, there's this complaint I have that I want to talk to you about. And here's what it is. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back from me. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. The, in the um, New King James, it says you have left your first love. Now, a lot of times, you know, people talk about that and they say you've lost your first love. And, and that's not what he's saying here. It's not like, oh, man, what did I do with, what did I do with that? You didn't, you didn't lose it. You left it. You left it. So when it says you left your first love, it's not, uh, I don't believe it's a willful, I'm done with you, God, I'm done with you. That's not what it was. You know, it can be a small, small area where you just get off just a little bit. And then the further you go, it's just like, a, like, like an angle, you know, if you have a triangle type thing or whatever and, and where the two points come together and you have a straight line if you get one line just a little off the further you go the further and further apart you are but it was only one small turn one small turn that led you there and when it says that we've left they've left their first love you know when you talk about I, it's funny because someone even was well, a couple weeks ago I heard someone say this and it reminded me of this they're talking about their first love listen that's God, God is not talking about you know that girl in third grade, she, oh, that was my first love. That's not who he's talking about, all right? He's not talking about, you know, that first crush you had. He's not talking about your spouse. He's not talking about that. You know what it means, that word there, when you look it up in the Greek? First love, it means the highest ranked, the highest priority of love, God. It's the highest rank of authority. That's what it is when it says the first love. It's not just, hey, you like, you know, you, you. It's, it's the whole point of where God is supposed to be, number one. And, and they left that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because he talks about we, we got to, we have to change this. I want to help you change this. And he tells them, even when he, when he, when he continues to talk about it uh, in verse 5, he says, look how far you've fallen. And then he encouraged them, turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Sounds harsh. Like what he's not saying is I'm going to take you out. I just want you to know, you don't, you don't, if you don't get this, I'm taking you out. 
when he's saying remove you, your place among the churches, here's what it is. You can, you can exist, but not fulfill your purpose. You know, there's churches everywhere. You would think as many churches as we have in this, just take this area, that we would see some amazing things taking place in our community. But it's not enough to just exist as a church. And for us to just exist and not have the influence and the light coming from us that God originally planned. Because, listen, the lampstand, remember when we talked about the lampstand, remember this. The lampstand isn't the light. See, we're the church. We're the lampstand. But we're not the light. We carry the light. The light of the world, Jesus. We carry that light. And we need, to, we need to make sure that we're letting that light shine. But we should be influencing people around us. We should be making a difference. Listen, light always, hear me when I say this, always, which means no exceptions. Light always overcomes darkness. If you go into a room that's dark and you turn a light on, you have eliminated the darkness. You go in a room full of light and try to open up a dark box, guess what? That box becomes light because darkness will not overtake light. So for us to really allow the light to shine, we got to make sure as a church, and I, I can't speak for every church in our community, but I can speak for this one, that I want us to make sure that we are with our first love and that we haven't left our first love. And if we have, that we come back to our first love today. And that's what he's talking about. So let's talk about that for a second. I have a um, <clears throat> couple of scriptures I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read here in a second. But when you look at the beginning part of Revelation, remember where Jesus is saying, I, I see all your hard work and all the, all the tough labor that you're doing. And can I tell you that here's a trap we have to, we have to be careful of as a church. And I, and I remind myself of this every day. That we can get so, so focused on doing ministry and, and doing things for God and lose the relationship. Not lose it like it's gone, but miss the health of the relationship. You know, there's a place in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and it's a story of Mary and Martha. And uh, I know if you're familiar with that story, but here's what happens. Jesus comes. I think we have it. Do we have it up on the screen? As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner. Martha was what? Distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. Okay, so here's Martha like, you know what? I am trying to serve a nice dinner for, that's Jesus. Can you tell I'm trying to serve him, want him to feel welcome? I'm trying to do these things for Jesus. And it's amazing that the scripture, the word they use is she was distracted. 
It doesn't mean that it was bad, but it took her focus off what was right at that time. And Jesus said, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. But there is only one thing worth being concerned about. One thing. And Mary's discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Here's what Jesus is saying. The one thing that is important is the connection with Jesus. The relationship with God. That's what's important. Listen, I understand why, why we people do what they do. And in no ways am I saying that it's wrong if churches do this or don't do this. But I don't want to get so busy in trying to create a place that is so welcoming for people if it's going to take us away from our focus. You know what people are looking for? They're not looking for a, lo- a, rock sh- a rock band show. They're not looking for a light show. They're not looking for all this cool. This, this is as cool as it gets here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all I got. But they're not looking for You know what they need? They need Jesus. And if we try to just reach them with stuff they like, then nothing changes. They can get that anywhere. But they can't, go to, they can't go a lot of places and get what we have and what we need to stay focused on. And that is we're here to do this. That's it. We're here to embrace people right where they are. Love people like Jesus. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Love others as I have loved you, says the Lord. Encourage people in the things of God. Come alongside of them and encourage them. Equip them with the word. And then empower them to do what God's called them to do. That's, that's what God has called us to do. That's all we got to stay focused on. But if we get distracted by, oh, we could do this and we could do this. Listen, I, I grew up in ministry, you know, in my years of youth ministry, I, I did all that. And we gained a lot of people. But our effectiveness was minimal. Because whatever you do to draw people, you got to keep doing to keep them. So if you don't draw them by the things of God, then you got to keep doing all the external stuff to try to draw them. But what they're really looking for is something that will fulfill, will fill the void that they have when they don't have Jesus. When they don't have Jesus. So we have to stay focused on, look, we got to stay connected with God. We can't get distracted by the stuff. It's not about works. It's not about works. And Ephesus, see, the thing about Ephesus is Ephesus, when, it, when Paul went to Ephesus, you can read this in Acts chapter 18, Apollos was there. And then when he, when he leaves, Paul comes in in chapter 19, the very beginning. Paul comes into Ephesus and, and he's, he sees believers and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. He prays over them to receive the Holy Spirit. They begin to walk in power. They begin to see stuff. And then later in Acts chapter 19, you have this story. I have it in the notes starting in verse 11. God gave Paul power to perform unusual miracles. So here's Paul seeing miraculous things happen. This is in Ephesus. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on six people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. 
seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence they fled from the house naked and battered. So leave it right here on this scripture because we're going to go to this here in just a second. Here's what happens. These guys are trying to do the works that they saw other people do but without the connection. So they're saying, okay, you know what? In the name, of, in the name that Paul talks about, come out. Okay, how about the name? At, uh, you know, and they try this. And what happens is they end up overcome, beat up, and battered because they're just trying to do, they're trying to mimic something they saw someone else do. Without the connection. Without the connection. The story of what happened spread quickly through Ephesus. To Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. This has happened in Ephesus. The name of the Lord is being greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. In Ephesus, there was the, this goddess of Diana and stuff, and there was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of uh, just compromise, a lot of stuff going on, and people are changing, and people are, are, are turning from their worshiping of idols and different things. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books were several million dollars. So you're seeing a change happening in this city. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So you're seeing this, this thing that's happening. where now, now we're moving on. Paul's already gone. Now we're in a place in Ephesus where now it's like, listen, you've, you've gone away from that. It used to be about just you and, and Jesus and your relationship. And all this stuff was happening. You were performing miracles and all this stuff was happening. But you kind of left that first love and, and it's veered off just a little bit. And we got we to gotta pull it back into focus. Because I, don't, I honestly don't think that any of, any of the stuff with the churches was intentional. Like, well, we're going to do our own thing. But it happens. And if we're not careful, we'll get so caught up doing things for God that we miss it. In Matthew 7, there's a time where people said, they stand before God and said, I did this in your name, and I did this in your name, and I did this in your name. And he's going to say, you know what? I never knew you. Depart from me. I never even knew you. You may have done all that, but I didn't know you. We had no relationship. We had no relationship. It was all, it was all just works. And, it, and it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold any water. So that's the, that's the place where Ephesus was at. They've kind of veered off. And he even said, but he, he, he goes on when he talks about this, and even when you see in that story of Mary and Martha, he's not being mean and he's not being harsh. He's saying, look, you've got to get your focus back. And can I tell you for us, for us as a church, here's one of the things that I think, I think God is wanting us to remember. We've been doing a study on Wednesday nights in Romans, and the first 11 chapters of Romans really talk a lot about us being righteous. And this is, this is the part that we have to remember. Because we can get caught up in all of the works. Because you know why people get caught up in works? Because they're, they're basing their value on what they do. And if, we're, if, if we do this and we do this, then I'm valuable. 
Yet people that said, I prophesied in your name and I cast out evil spirits in your name. And Jesus says, but I didn't know you. He wasn't impressed by, oh, well, oh, in that case, wow, that was awesome. Come on. He didn't do that. It's only through Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first. Then everything else will be added unto you. There's all through scripture where God talks about it's not, listen, your salvation had nothing to do with anything that you did except receive. It's not by works. It's by grace through faith that you even receive Jesus. And here's what's true about, about every one of you who've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The second you made that decision, you became in God's eyes righteous. And the problem is, is if we don't understand that, then we work, 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 and we miss it. And we do all this thing, all this zeal, all this stuff, but without power. Because we're not, we're not connected to the source. John talks about connected to the vine. When you connect to the vine, we're the branches, he's the vine. We connect, we produce fruit. Where does the fruit come from? From him. Who gets the benefit of carrying the fruit? Us. Fruit shows up in us, but it's from him. That, that's kind of amazing. We don't, you don't have to produce, oh, God, produce love. God is love, and he's in you. The spirit of God is in you, and with that spirit is love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, all those, all those things, it's in you. But can I just help you a little bit? You are righteous right now because of Jesus. And we leave and we feel like we got to do something, we got to pursue something. Listen, I'm just as righteous today as a pastor as I was when I wasn't even serving at a church. Because it's not based on what I'm doing. And the reason it's important, the reason this is important is because when you know who you are, it changes how you live. So will works and fruit begin to happen? Yes. But we try to make it happen to produce something. And God is saying, listen, if you know who you are, you will do that. I know I've said this before, but the Bible talks about, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? How many of you have sinned in the last month? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you just did, so you can raise it now. All right? We all have in some way. So do we struggle with sin at times? Do we fall and miss the mark? Yes. But the very next verse after that says in verse 24, but God, but God with his undeserved kindness, declares, which means he boldly states, boldly, that you are righteous. So he's already acknowledging, yes, you struggle. But because of Jesus, I declare today, even in your struggle, that you are righteous. Because your righteousness is not on your works. Your righteousness is because of Jesus. And if we get that, then we begin to live righteous.
If you, if, you, if you see yourself, this is review, if you see yourself as a sinner and not as righteous, then when you get to this fork in the road and you have this place, you have to make a decision, <clears throat> you're going to make a decision based on who you think you are. Well, I'm a sinner, so this must be what I do. And you head in that door. When the truth is, that's not the door you're supposed to go in because that's not who you are. But if you think that's who you are, you go in there and it's wrong. You're in the wrong place. But if you know who you really are and you go through that door, here's the promise. The righteous, the righteous run to the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and they're safe. So if you know you're righteous, then what do you do when struggle comes? You run to the Lord. Righteous people fall. So it doesn't mean you don't mess up. Righteous people fall. But what do they do? They get back up. So if you see yourself as righteous, then the next time you fall, what do you do? You get back up. You know what? I'm righteous. This is what righteous people do. Psalms 37, the righteous are never forsaken. So if you know you're righteous, guess what promise you can hold on to? God will not forsake me. His children are never begging for bread. God is my provider because I'm righteous. And that's what the Bible says about righteous people. Right? We got we to gotta go with where we are. We're missing it. All right, follow me here. And I don't, I don't, I don't want any emails about this, okay? If you're going to email me, just don't even send it. Let me just tell you something. You know, you got this whole HB2 law in Charlotte, this transgender bill going, right? Let me tell you, just because you may feel something doesn't mean it's true. It's the same way in your walk with God. You can sit there and feel like a sinner and act like a sinner and think you're a sinner, but if you've accepted Jesus, you're not. And it's time that you know the truth. It's time you receive who you really are based on what God says about you, and you go in the door that lines up with what God says about you, not what you say you are. You may feel that way, but just because you feel that way doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. So... I'm not getting on this perch about that. I am telling you, though, what you feel as a believer isn't always accurate. There's times I feel like, God, I feel like you're not even hearing me. But his word says, when you call on me, I will answer you. That's what the Bible says. So we got to make sure we don't get caught up in working so hard that we come back and we realize, whoa, where's, where's the Lord? Like I, I got so caught up doing what I was doing that I totally, I totally left what was really important. And it's something that I think we all have to take a, a note and really look inward and say, where am I? Have, I? have I wandered at all? I'm not talking about running away from God. I'm talking about just in your pursuit to do what's right, you've missed what's most important. I can tell you right now how you are doing if you are with God as your first love. Look at your calendar. Look how much time you spend. Do you spend time with him? Do you have time every day that you just enjoy being with him? 
Not just when things are going bad and you're asking for all this stuff, but time to just let him talk to you. Time to just hang out. Where, where are you? And I know this is a place I don't touch a lot, but I'm telling you, you know what? Even when it comes to giving, do you trust God? Listen, I'm, I promise you this. There will never be pressure in this place for you to give. Because God is my source, not you. God has always provided for me. Before you were here, God provided for me. God provided for me before we even started this church. So I don't say anything to manipulate you, but I'm telling you, if there's times when God speaks to you about giving or tithing or any of that stuff, and we, if a lot of times it's fear. And if God speaks to you about doing something, I would encourage you to do it. Even if it ain't here, give it somewhere. Be faithful. God will bless you. But you have to decide, where am I in my walk with God? Am I right here? Or have I just maybe a little way, just, just turned just a hair? It goes on. We'll finish, this, we'll finish this chapter, and then we'll close out. Here's what it goes on to say. He says, but this is in your favor as well. You hate the evil deeds of the uh, Nicolaitans just as I do. Nicolaitans, and, and basically the Nicolaitans, you'll read in verse 14 and 15 of that same chapter. I think we have it up on the screen of that same chapter. He's talking to another church. But in verse 14 and 15, it says, I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some... Uh, Nicolaitans among you following the same teaching. So that's where he talks a little bit more about it. But the bottom line, it's still that place of compromise. And he's saying, look, it's in this place of compromise, because we, you know, and sometimes our compromise is not always like it's necessarily that we're doing a complete sin, but sometimes we compromise a little bit, thinking that if we compromise, that'll help people be more attracted to us. And can I just tell you, People are looking for light. And if we turn our light down really light, so, oh, this will be a little bit more relevant to them. They're not looking for something relevant to them. They're looking for something different than what they have. And we have it. So he says that. Then he goes on in verse 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit, understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life, and the paradise with God. Basically, he's saying, listen, I will sustain you. I will sustain you with everything that you need. And I will be with you. I will help you. So my question today is, you know what? Do we have ears to hear what the Lord is saying to us? Not just as a church. But I take this word. Let me just tell you, as a pastor, this is how I take this. Lord, I want you to show me if we've wandered away at all to try to gain anything or to try to grow or try to do anything. I've been very cautious of that, but at the same time, there's a lot of times where you, you just, you don't even realize it sometimes. 
And I'm open right now for the Lord to speak to me and say, listen, you've gotten real busy in, in this or in this. But here's the reality. This is what God has called us here to do. Is this. My job on Sundays is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I stay focused on that. I have to be equipped as well. We all have to be equipped to grow and then let's make a difference. But you need to ask the question to yourself and I myself as an individual, Lord, where am I? 